Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are able to gather in your name and worship you. Thank you that you are here, that you are with us. Speak, Lord, now we pray for your servants are listening. We worship you through song. And now as we move into a time of prayer and hearing from your word, speak, we pray. May we grow to a deeper and better understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Can we please welcome our red carpet guests that are here today visiting the school? It's nice of our enrollment counselor to point them out, standing above them and embarrassing them. So thank you, but it's good to, it's good to have you here. I just want to remind you, uh, this weekend, the Bible Women's Project will be uh, performing again, and go and support that. There, uh, there will be chapel credit offered for tonight's performance only, uh, so if you're able to go this evening, uh, you can get chapel credit for that. We can't do it for every performance. They are hoping that church community and surrounding community attend, and there would probably be a bigger crowd for that tomorrow night, so that's why it's uh, this evening. Uh, tomorrow, from 9.30 to 4.30, our chapel speakers for the day will be hosting a conference, if you will, on human and sex trafficking. That will begin at 9.30 tomorrow in the, what they call the Metcalf Gathering Room, which is in the basement of this church. In the morning sessions, they'll be talking about what is human trafficking, what is sex trafficking. And then in the afternoon, you'll be breaking up into different work groups to decide to talk about now how do we respond. How do we respond in your own life, but how do we respond as a community? So you want to be a part of that. Well, I just feel like I, we need to take a few moments tonight. We certainly recognize and are thankful for all the women that have taken part in the Bible Women's Project. Um, I also want to thank another special group of women. Uh, can we just congratulate our women's basketball team on a great season and how great they did? We are very, very, very proud of you. And, of course, it was a tough loss last night, but I know we're all very proud of the men's basketball team as well. Let's congratulate them. And uh, we need to pray for our uh, women's softball team and our uh, men's baseball team because it looks like they won't be able to have a game until August when the snow is melted. Uh, So we'll need to figure out what they're going to do with their season. We know they have uh, spring training coming up in Florida and get some games in, but I think we all know snow will still be here in the next few weeks, so they're going to have to figure some things out, but we pray they have a great season. Well, let me introduce our chapel speakers for today. Dr. Jamie Gates, an alum of Eastern Nazarene College, is professor of cultural anthropology in the Department of Sociology and Social Work at Point Loma Nazarene University and serves as the director of the University's Center for Justice and Reconciliation. He has been at PLNU since 2001, and as I said, he holds a bachelor's degree in psychology and religion from ENC a Master's of Divinity degree with an emphasis in religion, philosophy, and multiculturalism from Nazarene Theological Seminary, and a doctorate in cultural anthropology from the University of Florida. Having been raised in and studied apartheid in South Africa, Jamie continues to work with justice and reconciliation as core theological and social concerns. Jamie's brought a student with him here today, and Molly is here. Molly is a graduating senior. She majors in international studies, And uh, this is only the second time in her life she has seen snow. So this is a big day for her. She grew up in Hawaii and Southern California. And uh, she doesn't have many, uh, as you know, her wardrobe doesn't have a lot of winter clothing. So if you see her shivering around campus, please donate to the cause. Uh, But Molly may need to just kind of stay warm. But uh, it's great and an honor to have both of you with us today. Uh, It is a blessing again to have our guests and just gather as a community as we discuss this very, very important topic And J.D. and 
The group is going to lead us in a song, and then after that, we'll see a brief video about some of the work that Jamie and Molly are part of, and then they'll come and share with us this morning. are most vulnerable when they run from home and it's because then they're opened up to lots of different risk factors that normally you wouldn't experience if you were at home and not on the streets he built a friendship with me you know, and that's what a lot of these men are trained to do because they're not trying to scare you off. They're trying to welcome you. They're trying to make you trust them. These, these traffickers, these exploiters, they know exactly what to say. And they fill that, that void, that need. They look like generous, kind, loving people, but they're very manipulative and they know what they're doing. driving down the street with my pimp and he would just shout at any girl that was walking down the street to try to get her to come into our family. It can really truly happen to anybody. Your past doesn't have to define who you are, even your presence, because you're just, you're constantly working towards something. The opportunity to be, to receive a higher education can certainly be um, the great equalizer. Here at Point Loma, they really just wrap around you. We started the Beauty for Ashes Fund primarily for three purposes. The first and by far the most important is to scholarship survivors of human trafficking to get their college degree here at Point Loma Nazarene University. The second is for students who are discerning vocationally how they might be involved in working against human trafficking for the rest of their lives. And the third reason is for the administrative support of the students and the staff working against human trafficking. Scholarships, financial aid, those things that fill in gaps, that is, that is the tipping point. When you donate to this fund, I think that it's an amazing thing because it doesn't stop with this one woman because you're going to help transform this one woman's life. Think of how many lives she's going to be able to transform after you. So you're causing this ripple effect, which is pretty awesome. Good morning, ENC. Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's so good to be home. This is my home. I was actually born in Quincy, um, but also went to school here like all of you are right now. So it's good to be home. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Really? Really? So... We're in the season of Lent, Christians. And Lent, of course, is a time when we reflect on our own brokenness. We reflect, you know, on how we are from ashes 
and to ashes we shall return. We reflect on uh, the limited abilities that we have to uh, engage some of the deepest problems in the world. So, you know, if you're, if you're a biology major, this might be a good time in these 40 days to reflect on cancer and its destructive power and our, its in seemingly intractable power and our inability to cure it ourselves, right? Um, if you're a business major, you might be thinking about and reflecting on the broken economies around the world or even how the strongest economies in the world break people and exploit people and exploit people in supply chains, right? You had a fair trade day on Tuesday. You might be reflecting on how much of our life is dependent on the slaves that are in our lives. Go to slaveryfootprint.org and check out how many slaves are you're dependent on for your own lifestyle, right? So in Lent... Um, if you're a theology and a sociology major, you might be thinking about all of all, how racism continues to haunt us and drag us uh, into spaces where we have a difficult time being reconciled to one another. So, Lent. You know, Jesus, in Luke 4, we learn of Jesus being in the desert. Um, in the beginning of Luke 4, you learn about Jesus right at the beginning of his ministry. He's, Jesus, Jesus, you know, right? Jesus gets baptized. The dove comes out of heaven, you hear this voice, you know, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. God endorses Jesus, right? Right, right before Luke 4. But then God says, all right, get thee to a desert. Immediately, the very beginning of his life and career, a lot like you are, at very at the beginning of your life and career, sent into the desert for 40 days, right? Lent. The 40 days and night of discernment for Jesus. We're in this season of Lent. Um... At the end of that 40 days, Jesus gets up. God renews Jesus, restores Jesus, brings him to his hometown. I'm loving being home. But if you know, remember the story of Jesus in, in Nazareth, right? This is partly why this is Eastern Nazarene College, right? Because of this story, Jesus of Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Aren't we supposed to be the ones where people ask, hey, can anything good come out of there? Jesus is uh, in his hometown, and he goes to the synagogue, it says. This is Luke 4, if you want to read along, if you have your phones, or if you have a Bible with you, you know, check out the Bible here in Luke 4. Um, from 16 on, Jesus comes into his hometown. And this is where people know him, right? This is where he's well-known, where he's well-liked. He comes to Nazareth, where he's been brought up, goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, stood up to read, and the scroll of Isaiah is given to him. And this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to give good news, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captive, sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to declare the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee. If you don't know what that is, go back and read Leviticus 19, Leviticus 25 and following. So then he rolls up the scroll and he hands it back to the attendant. And all the eyes of the synagogue were on, on him. Remember, these are his, his homies. These are his hometown favorites, right? And he says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Follow me, and you will bring good news to the poor, release to the captive, sight to the blind, freedom for the oppressed, and you will be able to declare that God is setting all things right. All were speaking well of him. They're like, yeah, Jesus, we're the poor. We're sitting under the Roman Empire. We're the ones that don't have quite enough all the time. Yeah. By the end of this chapter, by the end of this story, they're wanting to throw Jesus off the cliff. 
Jesus isn't uh, brought the message just to his hometown for his hometown people. It was, uh, Jesus says something strange like, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And he says things strange like, uh, like, um, you know, when Elisha, when God worked through, uh, for the sake of Elisha and for the healing of Israel, he worked through a widow um, and through somebody who was kind of an outcast. And then he talks about Naaman, the Syrian who God works through, who's not even Jewish, not even of our people. And God, through Jesus here, radicalizes the gospel. And the poor suddenly are not just our poor, they're everybody's poor. And those who are oppressed and captives are not just our oppressed and captives, they're like everybody's oppressed and captives. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Really? So in 2005, um, the Center for Justice and Reconciliation had been off the ground just a few years and Casey Davis comes to me. She's a political science major. She had uh, studied abroad in India. And she said, so you're kind of the justice dude on campus, right? What are you doing about human trafficking? I was like, what do you mean? Didn't know much about it then. Started to pay attention then. Casey, Casey held uh, vigils on campus and did film forms on campus, uh, showed Born into Brothels, and it started to wake us up. And we started to pay attention overseas. Um, in 2007, uh, Heidi Herman graduates, a uh, friend of ours, student of ours, graduates and goes to work for the Salvation Army. Um, the Salvation Army had done a lot of work globally, but in San Diego in particular, had been paying attention to the fact that sex trafficking and labor trafficking were going on right under our noses in San Diego. And so we started to pay closer attention. Like, oh, it's not just in Cambodia and Thailand it's not just in, in Haiti and not just in Tanzania and Kenya. It's like in San Diego, Tijuana. I had a student come up to me. This was back in 2008, 2009. Jeff comes up to me and he said, hey, I, I hear you started to pay attention to human trafficking. Um, I got to tell you a story and I need your prayers and I need your help. Uh, my cousin was backpacking in Nepal and she's been kidnapped and we know that she's been kidnapped into groups that are essentially a trafficking ring. So she's likely going to be sold into sex somewhere around the world, but out of this network that's in Nepal. And so we worked with him, and we prayed with him, and his family, his home state governor got involved. The U.S. government got involved trying to find her. And to this day, we still haven't found her. And it drew us even closer into this reality paying attention to Jeff. Um, it's sort of spun crazy since then. Um, locally got involved in the Advisory Council on Human Trafficking in 2011. In 2011, 29 people get arrested in San Diego County up in Oceanside, North County, for having a, a, a multi-gang ring of sex trafficking going on out of one of the hotels when a graduate, one of my former interns and a pastor up in that area, the people that own the hotel had been receiving kickbacks from this network, and they're in his church. And so we know these folks. They're like people that are like us. And so in 11, in, in, in 11, they started this advisory council on human trafficking, and we got invited in to be the, um, the, the chair of the research and data committee there. Um, since then, all kinds of things have happened. Uh, if you want to know more, if you want to hear the deeper story, come tomorrow. We'll tell you the deeper story. 
just this last year, um, I said those 29 people got arrested in Oceanside in 11. In 2014, just January of last year, um, 24 people got arrested in a, in, in, in a, a network uh, of gangs from around the country that were connected to each other and grounded in San Diego. 24 people got arrested in a network of sex trafficking rings that stretched across 23 states, 46 cities. Um, in December, so just before the Christmas break um, in San Diego, another 22 people got arrested out in East County. Um, those 22, and here are alleged gang members. It's also tied to sort of people that are organized together doing this. Um, three of those were women. A um, hundred survivors, a hundred victims, I can't even say survivors, a hundred victims in a two-year investigation identified in East County. Over half of them were underage. There was eight, they were 17 or younger. And a close to half of them were recruited from middle and high schools in our area. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Really? Is this where you're drawing us, God? Uh, so Jamie gave me the fun task of talking about my story in sort of this lens and framework of pain. So if you've never had to think about your story and try to share it with people, like all focused on pain, try it out. It's not super fun. But um, I'm going to start by like, uh, when I was thinking about how to share this, I was like trying to go back to like when I first sort of started realizing that I saw other people's pain, that other people maybe caused people pain and not just from like kindergarten when you see somebody else getting bullied and you're kind of like, what is going on? Um, for me, my, my family became a foster family when I was in like fifth grade and I started asking my mom in fifth grade, like, mom, why, do this, like, why does this baby have burns on its feet? Or, you know, like later on, why is a baby going through drug withdrawals? And, you know, like questions like that set me up like, I just don't understand why, why this is happening or where this pain is coming from. Um, fast forward a little bit to college. Um, I start participating in going downtown once a week and hanging out with people who live on the streets and, and learning about their lives and sort of building relationships and um, seeing broken families and long histories of abuse and leading them to where they are on the streets and then I'm coming from Point Loma, living on the beach in a nice apartment with my best friends, sort of just grappling with what it means to live in Point Loma and then go downtown every week. And when it's raining, I'm excited because it's a change in weather. But for them, what does that mean? Um, moving forward again, I, I study abroad. I studied abroad actually in Nepal. Um, and while I was there, I built a research project and my research, I focused on human trafficking. Um, didn't really know anything about it. Didn't know what I was getting myself into. Dove head in and spent a month on my own living in a community. Um, and then I realized I couldn't even just get the baseline of what human trafficking was unless I looked at Nepal and how it was structured. Largely Hindu nation, the caste system... So I started grappling with, oh, what are, what are these like shifting power dynamics and gender inequality and how they view women and how degrading it is, and, but how it's kind of just the norm. Like, why is that? Why is this the norm? Why do I see this and what's been going on for so long here? 
um, seeing the political structure in Nepal and how there really wasn't one at the time. Like, they just had their first election in, like, eight years while I was there. And um, to see human trafficking in that context where it's sex trafficking and kids from the rural cities coming to work in the city, um, kids being forced to work in make bricks, labor trafficking, um, people crossing the border into India, getting trafficked down into the brothels, people being offered jobs and then taken to other countries and exploited. Um, man, I just, again, my heart was, what is this? I don't understand. God, what is this pain? And honestly, my faith in this time, I was confused and broken and didn't understand. It was like, God, where is this coming from? So I come back to San Diego after studying abroad, um, start hanging out with Jamie again. And Mistake. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> uh, he has this way of sort of throwing you in the deep end if he catches your interest and then helps you swim um, when you need it. And uh, So I get involved here at the Center for Justice and Reconciliation doing sort of anti-human trafficking work with campus and students. Um, and that led to an internship outside in the community where I worked with, um, where I now work with an organization called the Bilateral Safety Corridor Coalition. And this is a service provision organization that does work with survivors of trafficking um, in the Mexico, San Diego region. It's like one of the most gritty grassroots, I just can't even d- describe how like grassroots and gritty it is. And it's run by this fiery little Mexican lady who will, uh, it's kind of scary. But, um, so I've been working here, and part of my work as an outreach coordinator is I also come in contact with a lot of survivors or clients, um, as we refer to them. And so I'm just going to share briefly two stories that as I've been doing this work, it just, again, I just don't understand this pain. Um, the first client, um, she's Russian, she's young. Um, I'm driving her back to the shelter this first day after meeting her, and we're just chatting and getting to know each other. And the conversation's pretty normal. And she asked me, hey, like, how old are you? 22. She's like, oh, I'm 22. Uh, Cool, like, have you, like, what are you you studying? I'm an international studies major. Oh, me too. Like, back in Russia, that's what I studied, international relations. And I was like, uh... Okay, I just didn't know what to do with that. This girl sitting next to me, we'd probably, like, if she went to Point Loma, we'd be great friends, like, studying the same thing in a lot of classes together. This client was trafficked. She took a job as a masseuse um, and then was forced to not only, it was labor trafficking and sex trafficking that she was forced to do masseuse work with happy endings. Um, Stunned. Um, and then this this other client has become very dear and a good friend. She is this like sort of late thirties, like like intimidating white lady, tattoos, um, and she her story is particularly painful in that it, it's just like 
I've never heard this before. And she was reverse trafficked down into Mexico through friendships, going to meet a friend in Mexico and ends up getting trafficked, not just for sex, not just to be raped multiple times in a day, but for torture. That she was literally sold so other people could torture her. Like, the people found sort of pleasure in that pain. And then not only was that part of her story, when she was finally pulled out of it, now she has cancer. And part of the damage of her body through that torture and through that pain. And so now I'm back at Point Loma from fifth grade asking questions of why people have this pain. And I'm literally in tears. And this is you know, just this last week where I'm really finding out about this client's history. And <laughs> what do I do? Like I'd been through ups and downs in my faith. How did it shift? How did it change? How did it completely leave me? And... I was sitting sort of in like in awe, like stunned by the pain that I've been seeing and really not super happy about it. And I thought of that song, Break My Heart for What Breaks Yours, and I was like, I had no idea what I was praying. And like, unfortunately, God listens, and he's like, okay. So my heart literally being shattered, feeling like torn to pieces, and I realized the passage in Ezekiel, it's clean heart. I'll give you a new heart. Take this heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And I saw as I sat in that sort of awe, stunned, that the pain that was in, like, felt like it was shattering my heart was actually shattering that heart of stone. And now God, who is, sees the awful things and is the God that is awe-inspiring. Whoa. Like, that was... A huge realization for me that God would see the awful, be awe-inspiring, and take that pain, shatter your heart of stone. It just happens. It's painful. It's shattering, and then you have a heart of flesh, and that—that that was a beautiful realization. And so, when I pray, break my heart for what breaks yours. I still say really because I'm—I'm scared to keep praying that prayer, um, and that's brings me back to the work that we do and so people asked ask me quite regularly so like okay you have this scholarship and you're gonna have people who have been trafficked either for sex or labor as students at point loma here in the fall of 2015 so how is your camp how do you ready a campus for something like that right and i i'm actually it's an easy question to answer because like enc like you um, we're a campus already with plenty of people who have brokenness. Um, you know, sexual abuse is on our campus. Has, people have come out of that. We have military, returned military with PTSD. We have people who have lost a loved one recently that are wrestling with that lament and that mourning, right? And we have services and, and, and counselors and systems in place and professors that love on people well beyond the classroom uh, in order to come and round And so we believe it's a place of hope, just like ENC is a place of hope that could actually engage, right? We got into, we we were thinking about this scholarship for a while, and then Jessica comes along. And Jessica's a student at one of our Nazarene colleges, and Jessica tells her story. And Jessica tells me that she'd been trafficked since the time she was two years old by her father um, in her family, and then to friends of the family, until she's 22 she comes 
out of a, a church group, rescues her, gets her out of that situation. She, has, she goes back in one more time. This is quite common. She gets pulled out again. So by the time she's 23, she's out. There's a transformation in her life that she describes as a miracle from God and, and finding Jesus in the midst of all of this was part of her story. And Jessica says, hey, do you think I could come and finish my degree? She had done some schooling already. She said, could I come and finish my degree at Point Loma? And we scrambled. We're like, we're going to figure this out. Went to the cabin at Point Loma and said, you know, here's this idea we've been having, and let me tell you about Jessica. And the cabinet took a major risk. Uh, the, the, the administration at Point Loma said, we don't know exactly how this is going to work out. We've got to figure all the details out, but we'll give it thumbs up. You go see if people even care about this. Try and raise some money for it so that it's not just a promise that we can't fulfill. And, wow. That was a beautiful miracle in and of itself. They said yes. In October, we launched this idea, hoping and praying that people would care and pay attention. So we had this big spoken word concert um, on October 29th. And um, uh, I don't know if you know who the poet Micah Bornet is. Phenomenal spoken word artist. Look him up. Um, He launched this for us and with us that night. We had like 75 people from around campus step up and help out to get that concert. 1,100 People showed up for that spoken word event. I don't know if you've ever tried to pull off a campus event before, but to get 1,100 people to come out, you know, that's, that's bizarre. It's wild. And we had kids from the, from the school districts that came. They brought yellow buses, right, from the school districts. And kids from Polinsky, which is our, which is our juvenile, the, the step right before you go to prison, right? It's, it's where the, the kids who are in the deepest trouble came. And like 20 of those kids came, right? And um, the president and the, and the admissions director said that they would help. And the admissions director comes up. We had, we had, we had a, been a bit sneaky that night, and we had 14 of our partner organizations in San Diego that work with sex and human trafficking survivors. We had them come up on stage. They, we, had, we told them we wanted them to table outside, so they're all tabling outside and recruiting volunteers, recruiting people to help donate to the work that they're doing, and that's exactly what we wanted to have happen. But then we called them all up front. They, they didn't quite know this was going to happen. We brought them all up front, and we lined up essentially 14 different, and there was at least two people per organization, so we're, they were like 30 people standing up on stage, and you could see the people doing the hardest work. One of them was who Molly was talking about. You could see the people doing the hardest, deepest work who don't get recognition very much for doing this work because they're very much below the radar. And then we had our admissions director, Scott Shoemaker, come up. And this was, of course, to let everybody know we're going to start and launch this scholarship and try and raise funds for it. And he brought an admissions bag with the t-shirts and the flyers and the pens and the cups and everything. He said, when you're graduate, when you're ready, we want your survivors to come to Point Loma. Then President Brower came up and we had prepared these plaques that uh, is a recognition for each of the organization, but it looks a lot like a graduation certificate, right? It looks like a lot like a diploma. And we said, and President Brower came up and said, and we're going to make sure that when they come here, they think they can succeed here. And to a person, the directors of these organizations, the staff of these organizations came up to us in the, in, the, in, the, in the intervening weeks and said, no, you don't understand how important this particular night was. We did something small that night. We just brought them up on stage and said, we love you. We're praying for you. And, and we believe so much in what you're doing. We're going to make space at Point Loma for your, for your graduates, the graduates out of your programs. They said, we're, we hung these, we're hanging these plaques up on our walls, and even those that will never go to college, it's a story that brings hope that another time and another life, a whole other life, is possible. And 
as I started speaking this around campus, uh, I'll give you a, a couple of stories of people who just began to step up. And in the work that we're doing in the city, the doors that have been opening, I, we have not been knocking on or shoving open. Doors have been opening for people to do something about this. When people want to hear about what's going on, they want to do something. And they, and they do more than just say, I'm going to pray and, 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 and go on your way. They're like, what can I do? How can I jump in, right? Um, so I'm at this, I'm at this sting, uh, there's a, we're doing a John sting, um, up in North County. Uh, if you know, I don't know if you know what that is, but just briefly come tomorrow. I'll tell you a bit more about what John stings are, but essentially, um, we're sitting in, a, I'm sitting in a hotel room with like 14 law enforcement officers, FBI, uh, sheriffs, and, uh, the DA, the, the chief deputy district attorney is sitting with me and we're sitting on this couch right next to a sleazy bed. And, uh, and she likes to say, yeah, Jamie Gates and I spent the night in a hotel together. I'm like, well, please continue that story and describe the whole thing. Um, but we're sitting in this hotel room and, um, they're essentially law enforcement puts, you know, false ads out on the, out on the internet and then they just wait and it's like catching flies guy after guy after guy comes in that night and they're arresting Johns all night and they are the Johns. The people who are buying are all over the map. They're white, they're black, they're Mexican, they're Filipino, they're, they're racially all over the map. Some of them are rich. You know, you could tell their clothes, the car that had been, that was sitting outside. Some of them were, uh, farm workers. One of them was a farm worker. One of them was working in a factory. One of them was working at Walmart. Um, and so all over the map, um, in terms of income. So, um, part of that was like this, that moment for me was another one of those broken. I'm like, Oh, these are like guys that go to my church. Right, and this is a place of brokenness. Part of that night was this like moment of incredible hope. I'm sitting there with Summer Stefan, who's the assistant district attorney, who is, has the most power to do anything about this in law enforcement in San Diego. And our conversation, she's there to observe the law enforcement to help them know how they can better live out or better make arrests so that they'll be uh, prosecutable. And I'm there because I'm research. I've got this two-year research project uh, going on, studying the relationship between gangs and sex trafficking. Um, and so we're sitting there, I'm taking notes and she's taking notes. And then we just get this conversation on the go and she wants to talk about faith. And she tells me a little, she's, she's Catholic and she's, she's profoundly engaged in her faith. And her faith is what drives her into this work against human trafficking. And her faith is what drives her into this work in the DA's office. And it was this beautiful Jesus moment right in the middle of a sting where we're, I'm, 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 we're arresting these guys. And it's like, hearing these crazy stories and Jesus shines through and she says, well, I can't talk about this at my work very much, but I know where you move and the work that you're doing. So can I talk to you about my faith? And it was this beautiful moment. Sam Steele is our admissions officer at Point Loma. And when she gets, the the admissions office assigned her to be the person who will be the contact person for every survivor we call them not victims every survivor that comes to point loma and applies for the beauty of ratchet scholarship wants to be a student so she's going to know all their stories she's she knows all of the social service agencies she builds a relationship with all the social service agencies helps them through knowing what it takes to get to college knowing what it takes to get financial aid beyond the scholarship knowing what it takes to get ready for college if you're not ready advising people to go to community college for two years if that's what they need before they can transfer to Point Loma. Sam Steele is amazing. And she, the first time we sat down to coffee about this, so this is how the campus starts to to bubble and and get involved. Sam, I tell her the story of what's going on. I tell her about the scholarship. And she starts to tear up. And she says, I get it. Like, it didn't take but ten minutes. She says, I get what we're doing here. And then she says, I'm going to make these applicants as if they are our highest recruits, 
as if they're the most important athlete that we're going to recruit, as if they're the most important academic scholar that we're going to recruit. They're going to get the t-shirt and the sweatshirt. They're going to get the extra calls. And if they're not quite ready for Point Loma, I'm going to help navigate them through the community college system, tell them which courses will transfer. And she goes off thinking through her job, thinking through what she does well and how she's going to recruit and how she's going to work. And that Sam Steele is one of 15, 20 people on campus that now their role has been affected by just saying, okay, we'll step up and provide because now everybody's had to scramble and think, well, what's this going to mean in our work? And so you don't have to take deep steps and you start seeing the really beautiful and the hopeful things. I'm in, I'm doing uh, interviews. We're doing interviews with gang members across San Diego County. It's a big project. It's a $470,000 funded project by the National Institute of Justice. And for two years we've been doing, we've been listening to survivors. For two years we've been interviewing gang members and and people who have trafficked other people. Um, We actually have interviewed about 140, 150 people uh, who have been, uh, who are gang members. Almost half of them have been traffickers themselves and three quarters of them have been networked with people who are trafficking. And The strange thing is, the more I've listened to stories of people who are traffickers, the more I hear pain and brokenness and abuse and people who have hurt others. So I'm sitting with Jay and Armand. Jay and Armand are friends with the 22 people that just got arrested in East County. And Jay and Armand said, look, these are our friends. We weren't involved in that, but these are our friends. Let me tell you where they came from. And I'm starting to learn the stories of the traffickers themselves. And if you want a crazy Jesus moment, think a little bit about the most debased person that you can think of. The person who's done the deepest ugliness to you. And think about what it might mean for Jesus to walk alongside that particular person. And for him to walk alongside that person through you. Is it possible that Jesus is even interested in redemption for the traffickers themselves? Now there's a crazy thought. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Really? Did you really mean this complicated? Alright. There's no neat bow to wrap this up with. If you want to hear more of these stories, if you want to hear more about what's going on, if you want to hear how much is going on in Boston, come tomorrow, hang out with us. We need to pray, but remember that we're in Lent. There should be no neat bow at the end of stories during Lent. Because Lent is all about learning to lament. Learning to mourn. Learning to be in the midst of the pain and not have answers for the two young women that Molly talked about. Let's pray. Lord, hold us accountable when we sing. May they not just be words... May they be discernment. So when we sing, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours, will you, um, as reluctant as we are and as difficult as it is, will you show us in those moments who's hurting? Who am I supposed to go sit next to, talk to, pray with? How's my career, this growing career of mine, supposed to come alongside those who are hurting? How's my time at ENC going to be used well? 
Help me to use these 40 days of Lent, Lord, to pray and to discern and to learn patience and to learn what it means to be compassionate, to suffer with those who suffered as you did with us. Gracious God, because when we do, when you break our hearts of stone and they become soft like flesh, you work miracles in our own lives and you bring beauty for ashes. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Tomorrow morning, 9.30, if you want to join them, you are dismissed. Go in peace. Have a great weekend.